Welcome to episode 173 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Something kind of fun happened this week. Uh, out of nowhere, uh, I suddenly got a notification that Stageworthy had been named one of the best theatre podcasts in the world by Feedspot.com. I got a, no- uh, a notification late at night that this had happened, that they that they'd posted this article with with this uh, a recognition of of Stageworthy, uh, and I was really thrilled to get it because you know what I didn't seek that out, and one of the best things is that it helps to let more people know about Stageworthy, which is one of the challenges of having a, a, a podcast is letting people know about it. So that was super exciting, and uh, like I said, some of, one of the hardest things about running a podcast is is letting people know about it. And you know, one of the things that you can do as a listener to help raise the profile and let other people know about the podcast is to go to Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen to your podcast and search and find stage where they're there and leave a comment or rating because those things those comments and ratings help new people find the show but even more than that if you've been listening for a while and you think there's somebody that you know that might enjoy the show tell them about it because some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because somebody i knew told me about them uh another thing to to keep in mind uh now is the time of year when the number of guests that I have lined up starts to starts to dwindle, and I start looking for people to interview. There's that lull between the the winter and summer months, the between the the winter rush of shows and the summer fringe season as things start to pick up for that. So, if there's somebody that you think that I should talk to, tell me about them. I would love to hear about them, and you can let me know about them by dropping me a line by finding Stageworthy on on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. You can find the website and email me through there at StageworthyPodcast.com. And you, if you want to drop me a line directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is Evan Chichis, the director of Eclipse Theatre Company's production of Kiss of the Spider Woman, which is taking place at Toronto's Don Jail from March 6th to March 10th. What I'm really curious about... Okay, first off, so uh, Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Yes. At uh, the Don Jail. Yes. Um, couple. There's like so many so many things uh, to think about there. Mm-hmm. And one of them is... I'm just curious, like what, what draws you to Kiss of the Spider-Woman? Mm-hmm. So when we were figuring out what to program the first year, I had like a list of... I had a list of shows that I were interested in. And then I had a list of venues because we wanted to have a site-responsive mm-hmm. theater. So I wanted to animate spaces in Toronto... Because I've been doing that kind of around the world in different countries and yeah. animating historic spaces and mostly using the history of those spaces to create the show. So right. this was this is kind of a new twist on it. So yeah. I was thinking, how can what can we what can we do here? At the, so I saw the Don Jail online and I thought, oh, that's an interesting space. And I'd been there once and I thought, oh, what can I possibly do there? And I thought, oh, you know, musicals, Chicago. This I was like, what else can we do there? I thought, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Mm. So that it, it kind of came together that way it was on yeah. kiss the spider-man was on my list of shows to produce of course 
I can tell you as a gay man, that show, I responded to that show mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it is about kind of um, masculinity and the definition of what it means to be a man. And I think as a gay man, you're always asking yourself growing up what that, how you, how you define yourself sure. in that, with that word and how do you fit yourself in that word. Yeah. So that mixed with the fact that it is this big Broadway show and I saw the original production oh, here. Shit. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I yeah. so I so it stuck with me. Like when I mm-hmm. saw it, it stuck with me. I don't I don't know if it stuck with me because of the themes back then. I think yeah. it was just more the spectacle, you know, those nineties Drabinsky musicals that were just so wild <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so big and Cheetah was in it and it was all those things you could yeah. possibly want as like yeah. a new music theater person in the city. Yeah. You just are like that it kind of embodied everything you thought about musicals. Yeah. So um working on it now, a very different experience because with all the research and I think where we are in the world now, looking at the reality of the prison life back then, I feel was um not as highlighted. It was more the 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 escape was the more of the highlight back then right. as opposed to the reality of it. So yeah, so I think it was just all all that. It was just uh, mm-hmm. how can I put a new twist on that show, and then how could it respond in that space? Yeah, and that was it. And then the idea was born. I mean, was it logistically was it difficult to arrange to perform in that space? Yes, <laughs> it was. Oh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It has, yeah, because it is a heritage site. Yeah, and it's also part of the hospital. Right. So you have those two hurdles. You have the heritage site hurdle, mm-hmm. and then you have the hospital hurdle. It's actually a work. It's actually an in use. It's part of the office space there. So that rotunda that we're performing in, okay, is just a crossway from one building to the other. But mm. there's always doctors and people walking through it. Besides the public who can visit it whenever they want. Right. But it's basically a throughway from one building to the other. Huh. So um, those two hurdles were were large and it took us about a year and yeah. a half to really secure it hmm. and we had to meet in front of this the very large uh scary group of you know 12 people heritage ontario mm-hmm. Bridgepoint. Yeah. they weren't scary they were actually very nice <laughs> they're actually very excited about it they were just trying to figure mm-hmm. out logistically how to make that happen sure. because it is a working space and a public space well that's that that i definitely see how that how that that presents some some unique challenges oh, yeah um, so does that mean that like when you're performing that area is closed to the public or when we're performing? You... So the building closes at five. Okay. So our shows, um, during the weekdays are after five and mm-hmm. then on the weekends it's closed as well. Okay. So we have full use. So we've, we've aligned the schedule so that we are there for when that space is actually closed to the public. Okay. So yeah. we get control of it a little bit that way. That's good. Yes. But there's still, again, there's, we're still, even as we're going uh, day by day, we're still running into, um, challenges with that space and mm-hmm. even, um, everything from using outlets mm-hmm. that we can or cannot use, uh, because it is attached to a hospital and taking energy from the hot. There's right. a million logistical things that happen on a daily basis yeah. as, even now a week before we go in there. And I think when we go in there, it still is going to be yeah. uh, a mystery until we're actually in the space. Even, even just, I'm thinking of, of just the sound in a space that's not built for sound mm-hmm. has got to be a challenge. Does it echo a lot? Is that, it is does. that something? And, yeah. You know, one of the little tidbits I found out about that rotunda itself mm-hmm. is that it was initially the reason that is so live in there is that it was the center of the prison and they would bring people to that center to do, to do whatever they wanted to do to them and okay. have it echo through the building. Oh my God. So it's one of the reasons why that rotunda mm-hmm. is so, um, 
uh, kind of cavernous and echoey. Right. So that is something that our sound designer, Jeremy, who's amazing, is trying to figure out is how do we balance that sound in there yeah. with the orchestra. <sighs> and what we're trying to do is... Um, we're trying to do as acoustic as possible, mm-hmm. if if possible. Yeah. And then our backup is that we have handheld mics. Mm-hmm. And because we're doing this hybrid version of a concert slash staged, fully staged version, yeah. I actually quite love the idea of, um, especially Aurora, the star kind of using this handheld oh, mic sure. whenever yeah. she needs it. And so we're hoping that she's the only amplified voice mm. in, the, in that world and the rest of it's all acoustic. Are there... I mean, everybody always, every theater has its quote unquote ghosts, mm-hmm. right? We put ghost light on the stage. Everybody's got, every theater can tell you a story about ghosts. Performing in a, a, a jail mm-hmm. where, um, you know, I think, you know, they, there were hangings there. There mm-hmm. were all like, you know, it was a jail. So, yeah. and especially when you talk about like that rotunda, they could do things people would echo all through. Do you feel ghosts in that space at all? Or yeah, you... they've, I mean, you know, they renovated it really well. I saw mm. some photos of what it was like before the renovation, which would have been even more perfect for <laughs> the show. The walls were crumbling. There was a large staircase that came down. It really, <clears throat> you could feel the history in the old space. Yeah. Um, this space is pretty beautiful, yeah. but the original, everything else is, it's original, mm-hmm. but the walls have been plastered okay. over and it okay. looks quite beautiful in the daytime. Mm. But when you go in the nighttime, and the original lights under the balconies are there as well. Mm-hmm. And it's there. You can you can definitely feel something in there. And mm. actually, um, when I was here in December, I, I went there just for a couple hours. And I sat in... There's no corner because it's a rotunda. Yeah. I sat by myself um, for about two hours just kind of listening to the space. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty... The space itself has so much energy and so much kind of... Um, um, I don't know. The architecture is so beautiful. The yeah. energy in there is so wild. And you, because you can hear absolutely everything, you can hear footsteps from a mile away coming mm. towards you. And um, as it gets dark in there, you really can start to feel what that would have been like back right. then. Yeah. And the cells are really like the cells in the, in the bottom that you can still visit. They're the size of this table. That's really wild. Huh. It's a really wild experience in there. It's kind of what, how long that was used as an actual jail for before it was... Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's only recent that yeah. it's been, I think, 2007 they renovated it. Yeah. So it's a very recent renovation. Um, but yeah, it's definitely... You could definitely... I mean, they've covered it all up and sure. there's artwork and it's quite beautiful. Like I said, it's quite beautiful and they use mm-hmm. it as an office space. So of course, you know, they want it to look and it's sure. a hospital. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there's still, you can't escape the bones of that place. It's no. all there. It looks like a jail, like from the outside, yes. it looks like a jail, even yes. if no matter what they do to it as a hospital, it's, it's a jail. Yeah. And I actually love again, a little history of that, that they built it in a way so that, cause it is a little bit on a hill that they wanted the inmates when they when they were driving towards it to see this huge foreboding um, kind of structure that they were, that they knew they were going to be in. And so it has this kind of massive scale to it as well. It sounds like they, when they were making it, they were kind of drama queens about the whole thing. <laughs> yes. kind of, yeah. A little bit like <laughs> yeah. they had a whole theatricality thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Father time is there. And the, when you, when you enter there's father time oh engraved <laughs> and kind of remind you of things, but yeah, it's yeah. a really, it's and we're and we're trying not like our la- we don't want to exploit any of that. We don't no. want to we really want to kind of honor what happened there and try to um uh kind of highlight it in in a way that doesn't feel um gimmicky mm-hmm. or 
uh, yeah, yeah, we're doing our best to kind of figure out the best way of doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are you able to rehearse in that space or is it, is it something that, that like you can't really rehearse there until you like move in for your tech? Exactly. Yeah. We have about a day and a half in the space before we open. I know Jesus, we've given like, ourselves, so... I know we've given ourselves probably every challenge we could possibly give ourselves with this piece Mm -hmm. um but i think it comes along with any theater company outside all these all these companies that are site specific yeah if you especially if you don't have control over the space well yes it is uh yeah it's been it's been a huge challenge but i've also like we're learning uh to kind of embrace those challenges and use them to our advantage Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. see what happens so I want to talk about uh you know just to 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 leave kiss of the spider woman Mm -hmm. for a minute or however long it takes to talk a little bit about uh, your theater origin story, like, mm-hmm. what, uh, how did you first become interested in theater? How did it become a thing that you were going to make mm-hmm. such a center of your life? Mm-hmm. It's funny. I was just talking to someone about this because I think I, um, with Kiss the Spider, when Melina uses his imagination to kind of escape the horrors of what he's in, mm-hmm. I can, in the spectrum of that, you know, as a child, I did that a lot. I used music theater to escape mm-hmm myself whatever was happening if something was happening i'd go into my room and i'd blast some music theater and uh it helped me kind of escape my whatever was happening in my life at that Mm. moment so that kind of started it all and then i just i think it's just the same as everyone i started in high school yeah um and then i think i saw dream girls at the o'keefe center the tour of dream girls when i was like 13 years old or 12 Mm. years old and uh couldn't believe what i was watching and then (laughs) used one of those audition one of those pieces to audition for Anne of Green Gables in my oh. high school. <laughs> Little thirteen year old me singing one night only at the audition <laughs> to audition for Matthew Cuthbert, uh, which I got. And then and then I just and then that's it. I just I went from high school. I then I went to York University um for a bit to study acting and then I went to Sheridan to study mm-hmm. music theater mm-hmm. and then uh, I got a job doing, uh, you know, the mouse trap that was here in Toronto for like 20,000 years. However, so I did yeah. it for about 10,000 of those 20,000. Okay, I did yeah, it for yeah. six years. That's a long, right solid of, run. Yep. From like when I was from 19 years old, probably 20 years old till 20, whatever. Got wow. my equity card while I was there as nice. well. And that's it. And then I just, I was performing a lot and mm. then I kind of uh decided at like in my late 20s i had like an epiphany on the disney cruise ship when i was performing about is this going to be my every day Uh, is this what i'm going to do every day i'm going to dance around and do this and then i kind of had um i came back to toronto and i i think i produced my first little show then as a producer and then i directed it of course like everyone does like i know how to direct i could direct these people and then realized oh shit uh, that's not that's not right and then um and then yeah they just built and then i yeah. just um and then i started studying different forms of theater and then uh i think when i did i did like the lincoln center director's lab after i had yeah. um after i had uh studied uh theater of the oppressed for a while mm-hmm. i had been working in that for a bit and then i went to new york to do the director's lab and it kind of changed everything there yeah all of a sudden i was like oh this is this is something that I want to pursue. And mm. then I met all these incredible international directors that we yeah. all started collaborating. And I started traveling around the world doing shows and working with in Germany a lot and doing the, and then it just mm. kind of snowballs. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's the same story. I want to, I want to ask you about that. Just right at the beginning, you talked about, um, you know, the, playing the musicals in, in your room. Uh-huh. Was that, was that your gateway to theater? Was that, you think that was mm-hmm. the thing that opened the door? Do you remember what the first, 
uh, uh, Broadway soundtrack that you heard was? I don't know if it's the fir- Dream Girls was definitely one of my top faves, mm-hmm. and then Evita, Patti Lapone and Evita. Okay. How can okay. you? I mean, All it's right. like you know, yeah. it's like it's a cliche story, but sure. it's like this little gay boy in Toronto <laughs> <laughs> listening to Patti Lapone in Evita and mm. playing it to death, and yeah. and you know, re- and performing it in my room sure, yeah. and winning my Tony in my room and doing all those things. Yeah. And uh, that was it, you know? Yeah. How long was it before you actually got to see a show? Not that long. Okay. Because, um, because I was, so I grew up in Toronto. Yeah. And the O'Keefe Centre was bringing all these, um, mus- these touring musicals in. And I think, mm-hmm. like, I said to my mom, hey, I want to go see uh, this show in at the O'Keefe Center, and she's like, sure. And okay, she brought yeah. me, yes. a little Greek mom, and she brought me there, not knowing what we are going to see, and then I saw, I remember seeing, like, Fiddler mm-hmm. and um, all those tours that came through yeah. Toronto. So it wasn't, uh, I didn't, like, wait till I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. It was pretty early on, like, 11, 12, I started to see, and when I was in school, they brought us to a lot of theater yeah. in my elementary school as well. The O'Keefe Center used to be, like, the, the spot to go in Toronto for, for yeah, all Yeah, the shows. tours all came through there, yeah. so it was a big, it was a big influence, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I always heard, heard people complain about the sound in there. But, oh, I, <laughs> but, I was so I mean, how little kids are. They mic the whole thing, so who do, who cares? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No. Um, so when you started directing, um, did you have you left acting behind, or is like mm-hmm. is that something that you're still doing? Or I certainly haven't done it for a long time, and I actually think it's really brave and amazing. I don't even know how I did it for so many years. <laughs> uh, even today, one of the actors was just came from an audition. And I was thinking. How the heck do they go up there and expose themselves in that way, their mm. souls to these people who are sitting behind and judging them and telling them if they're right or not for mm. them? And now I'm one of those people. It's a very strange, I don't know, but I do miss it. Yeah. I think because the more I direct and write and produce, I think it all kind of feeds into the other. And I've been teaching a lot at, in Houston mm-hmm. at a theater school there. And um, I've been teaching there for five years. And so through teaching those kids and it's a professional school, it's kind of like a precursor to Sheridan. It's yeah. it's a, it's a professional school, but it's uh pre-university. So there are high school students that come after school and they do this kind of professional program. And I kind of, I think, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I kind of miss, I do miss it. It was yeah. a definitely, it's definitely all I thought it was going to do. Right. I didn't think I was going to do anything else. I never thought about writing or directing or producing when I was younger. I just only thought, I'm going to perform. I think a lot of us think that when we're at theater, yeah. especially especially since most of the theater schools don't talk about doing anything else. Yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you will go through this program and then you will spend your life performing or going to auditions or going mm-hmm. to auditions and performing. Like that's your life. Mm-hmm. And then we get out into the world and we find out, oh, if I really want to do something, I'm going to have to do some other things as well. And do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think, I don't know about you, but they didn't prepare me for that. I know, which I think they should teach. <laughs> yeah. They should teach you how to be a creator in school and they should teach you what to do with your money mm-hmm. in school yeah. and they should teach you what to do when you get a big contract and how to buy a house and do yeah. all the things that you need to do as a, as an artist. Like, yeah. um, so you started off as an actor too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then what was your, I'm curious what your origin story is. What made oh, you? <laughs> um, I actually think mine was a little bit similar. My family, we had some, some of those Broadway cast albums mm. we had, um, original cast of My Fair Lady and and Godspell mm. and uh, um, Oklahoma and so you know the, the really classic ones and your parents bought those my or? parents had those and I discovered them in the record collection 
Mm. And I think at first I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then I realized there was a story. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the whole thing, it mm-hmm. told a story. And I that sort of drew me towards towards that because mm. it wasn't just like if you throw on like this record or that record, each song stands on its own. They all work together to, to get to a certain place. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my, my start mm. towards that. And this was in Toronto? Where was this? Uh, we In Belleville. Oh, okay. So, like, not far from Toronto, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, we, we didn't get to see a lot of a lot of theater, a couple of, of things, but mm-hmm. occasionally, my I think once I started to be interested in theater, um, relatives, my 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 aunt would be like, "Where there's a little show at the, at the Young People's Theater?" Uh, she was very much like, "Get let's go get and, to that, you know, get let's go and see some stuff." But for the most part, it was all it was all up here. Uh huh. Um, and then what was that leap? I'm always curious, like people who are not from like larger towns, like mm. how did you go? Okay, I'm going to actually go out of Belleville, and I'm going to. Well, we lived we lived in Belleville for a while, and then we moved to Ajax, mm. which is you know a little closer to Toronto, not mm-hmm. quite Toronto. Yeah. But I spent all of like. I'm not quite sure when the decision was like, this is what I'm going to be. But I knew from a very mm-hmm. early age that I was going to be involved in theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, I went through this period when I was in, in high school where it was like, um, people were like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd be like, oh, be an actor. Because mm-hmm. nobody else was <laughs> yeah, doing yeah, yeah. that. People were like, I'm going to go into business or I'm going to be a doctor. Like All the things that people say they're going to be. And I was the only person who was like, I'm going to be an actor. You said that to the guidance council. And they were like... <laughs> I don't know how to help you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, mm-hmm. and I just I just somehow knew. Right. And then I started uh, after sort of making a go of it after I uh, sort of left doing theater for about five years. When I came back, I was like, I think I really enjoy making it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, performing in it. But I really feel very invested in it when mm-hmm. I'm part of the creative process from like making something from beginning to end. Mm-hmm, which so, I think yeah. is actually something that I think I try to instill that in my students, even that I teach now. Like yeah. I say to them, I start them from a very young, young age and I say, you guys need to learn how to be like artists and creators yeah. and not just actors. Yeah. Because we all, there's a million actors out there, but there aren't a million creators out there and you're going to have to become a creator eventually. If you want to stay in this business, yeah. you might as well learn now how to do it. And it's, not just... it's now such an essential part of like a a career in in the arts. Yeah, like, there are so few opportunities for you to for somebody to come along and like give you a job. Yeah, that you kind of have to take it and get noticed, and then sort of like use that to become yep. something else. Mm-hmm. You know? That's why I really do think that the theater schools need to have some ancillary course or something where they teach you all about that and how to save your money i think they are they're starting to get yeah there. they're starting do to do your get taxes there. and all those things well like, i mean how do the, you... so the school that i went i went to to george brown theater school oh. they always had a business of acting oh. course oh amazing it was never really as in-depth as it needed to be but it was at least like mm-hmm. there um and now uh there they have like a a self-producing Oh, amazing. Of, the, of the of of the of the time there, so it's a relatively recent uh, addition where they're where they're at least talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They have to. It, but it, it's been so long mm-hmm. since, like, for like people have been doing this, making their own work for at least twenty years, mm-hmm. um, and finally the theater schools are like, I guess we should talk to people about that. <laughs> yes. You know? Oh yeah. 
So, mm-hmm. oh, that's cool. Okay. Did you, did you, when you uh, started making, you, you know, you mentioned like you, you decided to produce your own thing and direct that. What, what was that? I did. Was that something that you wrote that you created? Well, or? I, actually, it was funny enough. It was a, it was so funny. It was a Candor and Ev show that okay. I did, uh, a kind of a review style show called Don't Tell Mama that I did at Cholula's Cabaret. Okay. And I just grabbed, you know, all my best friends. I think, you know, one of them, Mark Allen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I grabbed all my best friends at the time and I said, hey, let's put on this show. Yeah. And we thought we were so cool putting it on. And it was great. It was an yeah. awesome show. It did so well. Of course, it like sold out because everyone wants musicals. Sure. It sold out immediately. We did it again the year after. We brought it back. We, we did a mini, um, mini tour, not tour, but I brought it to another, I brought it to some other some other city i can't remember some other theater i was very yeah. ambitious back then and i i was like oh i'm gonna tour this everywhere and everyone loved it and it was during that kind of fossey craze that everyone yeah. loved and so um i did that for the first time and you know ignorance is bliss and i was like oh this is easy <laughs> look we did the show I'll, i it sold out it's amazing and then i you know of course it sold out it was two of those cabaret there were like 50 seats and yeah we did like five shows so of course it sold out oh yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. then i then I just started producing uh, in my late twenties. I did. Uh, then we did Vampire Lesbians of mm-hmm. Sodom after that. And I started. I uh, then I I joined forces with some theater in Newmarket, a camp mm-hmm. where it was like a semi-professional theater. And I produced Andrew and Gables there. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe I'll produce now. And then um, I did that. And then of course, you know, you, you become a producer. And then you realize there's no money in theater as a producer either <laughs> so then you're like i'm gonna write now and then i decided i'm gonna write some plays now and then i decided to do that and and then i have a lot of like add in theater mm. i get very i get very once i do something for a while i want to shift gears and go left and then go that way and then i do that and I'm like oh then i'm gonna try writing again i'm gonna try directing again i'm gonna try so that's my i think my my blessing and my curse because i'm i'm always um, everything's kind of shooting out of me in all directions. Sure, but that's not, I mean, I don't think that's a bad thing because you're, you know, diversify, but also, like, how bored would you be doing the same thing mm-hmm. for, like, 10 years mm-hmm. or however long? Like, at, at a certain point, doing the same thing doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah. So you sort of have to explore and, and branch find out things. Yeah. Yeah. So this first, this first, uh, uh, Kander and Ebb Cabaret yeah. was, it was, a was a success. He did it a couple of times yeah. and it, it was easy. You said, when did you figure out that this whole thing, that this directing, <laughs> producing thing was not easy? Um, hmm, I did. <laughs> uh, I was hired actually to produce a show with this fledgling company, but the budget uh, back then, this was like probably maybe 20, no. Yeah. Maybe 18, 17 years ago. And the budget was pretty hefty at that point. We did a show at the Tarragon. I'm not going to say what show it was, Mm -hmm. but we produced a show at the Tarragon and I was hired to come in as a producer. Yeah. And, um, we kind of lost the show was great, but you know, we had a reviewer in the city at that point who did not love the show Mm -hmm. itself. And then, you know, at that point it was, it was, in the point where reviewers were that beyond end all of shows. And so if this yeah. one reviewer, two reviewers didn't like the show, you're done. So that one reviewer did not love the show. And then the com- the company lost mm-hmm. all its money. And I was thinking, Oh God, this is a, uh, I don't want to be responsible for other people's misfortunes. So I will just yeah. stick to my own. <laughs> well, it's hard to, um, it, it, it's hard to get people out and it was hard mm-hmm. to get people out. It's always been hard to get people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, renting uh, Tarragon is some—it's not cheap. I know, but it's cheaper you know? than found spaces sometimes. Oh sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, there's other places where there's a lot more um, uh, storefront theaters and things yeah. like that. We only have 
uh, your sand, Red Sand Castle yeah. and uh, the assembly, I guess, is storefront. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we don't have that many right now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess the commons and like the the brick and mortar people, their 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 stuff is a little more accessible. But it's still like the it's all an, ex- an expensive prospect. So it's yeah. easy to lose money on a show like that, mm-hmm. especially if you've got like, I guess at the time, like you either had uh, uh, the star. Yeah, or Globe and Mail Globe or Mail. National Post, one of the three yeah. top ones. Yeah, so but they didn't. I mean, the Globe and Mail doesn't often do indie. No, but this was. Don't forget, this was a long. This was a long time ago. Sure, and yeah. it actually, was the to tell the truth. Back then, the theaters were not that expensive to rent, okay. Okay. and I think that's yeah. why there was a bit of an influx at that point of a lot of indie theaters producing at that mm, time mm. but uh and it was also a play musicals are you know as we're learning slowly uh yeah. <laughs> unbelievably <clears throat> expensive to produce no matter how much you scale them oh up. sure they are but they also bring people out yes yes i know we we were, were we've been shocked at the reception of kiss like yeah we sold out six weeks before yeah yeah, yeah. we uh, yeah before it was it was crazy well i mean it hasn't i mean it's not like it's produced all the time so there's a whole lot of hunger for it exactly. when, and i think yeah. there's a hunger for music theater in the city as yes. well i feel yeah. like um producing a musical in this city is not that it's a safe bet but it's you definitely there's definitely an audience that is hungry because there's not really a lot of it because it is so expensive yeah so if you do it i think you're gonna get people out because there's just not where else how else can you see it but you can only you either can see the expensive mervish shows yep. or you don't really see it at yep. all yeah, because there's so few spaces that where people are because it is expensive to mm-hmm. do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it the 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 so there was like one reviewer didn't like the show, and then it sort of it sort of he didn't like the actual piece itself, it, not the it, the show. It was one of those you know reviews that were right in the middle. Like he just he came in hating the piece, oh. and so nothing was going to convince him or her. I'm yeah. not saying anything. No, but what the what it was. So it was it was a good learning lesson because yeah. I realized that you know the show was fantastic and the audiences loved it and mm-hmm. it was it was well received with the audiences. But at that point, it really was the shift was um, this was before blogs and yes. all these other yeah. people that can re- everyone can review and every there's so many different and there's like one this was like the point where there were two papers that ruled the world. And if you didn't do well, everyone watched. It's like the New York Times. Like yeah. If it doesn't do well, then at that point, then you're you were screwed. So I did that, and then I did another. Like I did another. Um, hired again as a producer to do another show, and it did w- very well. But yeah. even when shows do well, you know how it is in theater. Even when they do well, there's uh, the revenue very rarely will put you in. It's the true. Black. It's true. Your, it doesn't matter if you sell out, you're still going to lose money, even selling out. Yes. It's, yeah. it's a really strange... It, it is a strange work. business. <laughs> it is a, it, it's a strange business model, especially in the city. And I think especially... I mean, I both hate and love to be critical of the whole Mervish organization just because of the... You know, they do these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also um, have monopolized all the theaters. There's no competition Mm. In terms of that size theater, but they've been great. The, the good thing is that I think what's great about them is this uh, whole off Mervish and them kind oh, of yeah. bringing in indie companies and I, helping them. I have them. loved that. Yeah, I yeah, have yeah. loved that. But it's also like you know, there's no, they don't have to one up every anybody. Yes, because nobody else is on their scale. Yeah, and so it, they can they can do they it. Can do be safe. They never have to really yeah. sort of push because there's always going to be people coming to see their shows. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing really a step down. Mm-hmm. from that you know mm-hmm. and it's hard 
Yeah, that's I mean, what we're hoping that we 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 are. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we're really yeah. hoping to kind of fill there. I do think there is this void between like of mid-size musicals yeah. in the city, and that's kind of what our uh, that's what we're trying to kind of fill when we decided to build this company. We thought, okay, well, what is what is it? Is it a really small scale, or is it? It's not a huge scale. It's not a small scale. It's something in the middle where we can still bring excitement, and it's it's kind of a mid yeah mid-size music yeah. theater. How many how many seats are at the? It's very. We're only it's only hundred seats, maybe okay. hundred and five. Right. So we're squeezing as much as we can in, and again because it's a heritage building, yeah. we can't. When I first went to go see it, I thought, oh look at this. There's these two beautiful balconies. We could put people up there all the way to the top, but nope, we can't no. use those. We cannot because no, those, those are closed off. You can't they're not closed there. off, but they're just structurally they. You know, it's again they don't know if they're right. We'd have to bring right. an engineer and to kind of we don't have that kind of infrastructure. No. No. Yeah. But so. I mean, it, it's exciting because I think that people are, that people love musicals, but there's also the whole like experience aspect of it because it's set in, it's set in a jail mm-hmm. and it's in a jail. Yes. So there's very much, I think you've combined the hunger for musicals with the hunger for an experience, mm-hmm. which uh, is a, is a great draw. Yeah. And, well. and that's one of the things I think, cause I've been doing that so much, um, so much of my work outside of Canada. Mm-hmm. I haven't really done, to tell the truth, a lot of things inside of Canada for the last uh, six, seven, ten mm-hmm. years, actually. I've been kind of doing everything outside the country and just coming back to visit my family. But, um, yeah, we're trying our best to bring a full experience. So mm-hmm. the second they walk in the door, we have a kind of pre-show tour mm-hmm. that we're going to animate and do things with that will immediately bring you into a different world so yeah. that uh and then we're really trying i'm really trying to utilize the space and sarah Jean, our choreographer as well like we're really trying to to do our best to utilize the space so that we are, we're highlighting the architecture immediately as well so the audience's eyes can be drawn to mm-hmm. everything we want them to see to really feel that world using sound the way that it would have been used back then it's it's really i think it's gonna it's exciting you yeah. know it's exciting to kind of experiment with that but still keeping it in the spirit of like musical theater, I don't want to. I don't want to take that show, which is kind of this iconic. Like the escape numbers are yeah. so beautiful and so big. I'm not trying to take that away and no. like scaling it down. I'm trying to. I, what I think is amazing is using the reality, the real world, and the real architecture of people who are actually in this prison, which the characters are, and saying how can we use this physical world that we're in, and how did they, and how did that character Melina actually escape? but still in the reality of where he's in. Yeah. So yeah. how can we use this space and how can we recalibrate it and animate it in a way that he can fully escape mm-hmm. in his mind with these bodies and these sounds. And then we're still in the space. It's yeah. Really yeah. An exciting prospect. Actually, we're doing mm-hmm. that. We, we, we started to do that in rehearsals today. We just started a couple of days ago, but we started to kind of access that. And it was really a, an exciting day. Was it putting the cast together? Was that a, was that, did you have an idea of who you wanted in the cast when you started or was it, no, nope. like, what was the process of putting it together? We did not, we did not have any expectations. Um, no, we just put a call out. We were mm-hmm. hoping, of course we were hoping to cast as many Latin American actors as we could. Yeah. And, um, uh, diverse as much as we can to kind of reflect Toronto. So we've done our best to kind of, bring as many as we can different voices mm-hmm. uh, that way. So um, that was part of the casting process. So other than that, it was just a call, a general call, and we brought people in. Mm-hmm. And um, it took us a long time. We, it took us probably seven months to fully cast the show. Wow. We really... We're, the good thing is that we partnered with Sheridan. 
So what we've done is that the ensemble mm-hmm. uh, of of prisoners, all the men, are all Sheridan students. Okay, okay. And then we also have these four women from Sheridan, these four uh, that are graduating this year that we're integrating into the show in some special way. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> uh, tell you how <laughs> yet, yeah, yeah, but yeah. we're integrating them into the show as well. And then the Equity cast are all the leads, mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. a way to kind of bridge those Sheridan kids into the Toronto world yeah. as well and kind yeah, of create yeah. an opportunity for them to have this professional experience with these amazing actors in Toronto mm-hmm. and expose them in, in that way as well. Um, had you planned for seven months or no, no, no. We thought, Oh, we're going to do a big general. We had, it was crazy. We, we had probably over 300 and something submissions for, I think four or five roles that we were looking for at that wow. time. And, um, yeah, we just brought everyone we could in uh, and built from there and just kind of bit by bit. But um, we just wanted to make the right, we just wanted to make the right decisions. We wanted to cast it correctly right. and yeah. we wanted to really find um, the right people for it who, um, especially because we wanted to kind of put a new, not a new spin on it, but the character of Melina, he's from the, from the original book to the musical, he uh, hit the spectrum of his sexuality is, is, uh, he started transgendered in the book, right. and then in the musical, he's a bit more watered down to a kind of gay, yes. kind of gay man of that era. Yeah, and so we're playing with w- where does he live on that spectrum, and right. is he? And we're still kind of playing around with that in rehearsals and yeah. trying to figure that out and what that meant. So all everything was taken into consideration hmm. with the casting. Yeah. What was what was the the biggest challenge in the casting process? Hmm. I think Valentin actually. Yeah. To tell you the truth, um, yeah, it's a it's a tricky part because you need this super. You know, the the show deals so much with masculinity, yeah. and you have these this the the complete polar opposites. You have what they think masculinity is, or what right. the show is trying to talk about the definition of this super masculine man, Valentin from this super masculine world that he's from this Latin American world amplified in a prison, Mm. this super masculine prison. So it's all this amplification of masculinity. So you're looking for this, this kind of type, this archetype almost Mm. of a man that, that Molina will see and think, Oh my God, he's going to, he's the guy, he's that guy for me. So it was actually a very different, that was of all of them. The most Mm. difficult Molina was not, we had a million, like that would have been great. And, um, uh, we and Kawa just kind of came in and blew us away. Like it was yeah, as yeah. soon as he walked in and uh, started singing, we were, we all perked up. Yeah, and I was yeah, thinking, yeah. hmm, uh-huh, someone's going to have a tough time after him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I guess, I mean, that's that's kind of one of those things that you hope for at an audition. Yeah. Somebody's going to come in and, and make you know that there's like nobody else. Yeah. Because it's hard to have a bunch of people who are equally good. Mm-hmm. And then you have to make, Almost arbitrary decisions. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's good to have somebody that comes in and just. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Oh okay. it was, yeah, it was it was a uh, we all kind of knew almost immediately. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Overall, in terms of in terms of this show, um, aside from the the issues with the space, what's the biggest challenge of this show aside from casting and the and the space? Hmm. I don't know. If there's what's the biggest challenge? What a good question. Um, I think it is straddling those two worlds of reality and fantasy. Mm. Even today when we were working on one of the more kind of fantasy numbers is how far can, how far can we go with these 
because it is tough because it's music theater and mm-hmm. you know you you try to kind of um break that paradigm and you're that that kind of constraint in your head of what music theater is and that's why i love this show because it actually uses musical theater in the way that i used it as a kid <laughs> <laughs> so i connect yeah. to it so i think it's just strat like just n- trying our best not to exploit the reality of what's going on mm-hmm. in that and really honoring what they were going through in that time period. And that's mm-hmm. what I keep on telling the cast. And especially because the prisoners are all being um, portrayed by the, the students reminding them that they were this age and they were being dragged off the streets. Uh, if they were kind of left-wing anarchists or yeah. dissidents and being uh, tortured and uh, the reality of the world that they were in and um, mixing that with music theater, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a really strange, but amazing combination. Yeah. The, the kind of horrors of what happened with the kind of uh, beauty of musicals. It almost sounds like the challenge is not how do you differentiate between when we're in reality and when we're in fantasy, but it's more about um, the concern of taking the fantasy so far that it breaks the reality. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 And how do you, how do you, how do we do that? How do you do that? I will tell you that in a week and a half. (laughs) Um, It's fair. We are, there's a lot of smart people in that room. Mm -hmm. So it's been really amazing. And so I'm, I'm a pretty, uh, I I kind of love devising and being really collaborative. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I think relying a lot on them as well. I've done, I've done a year and a half of research. I've never researched a show more in my life as this. And I think because we were supposed to, we were initially going to produce it last year. Mm -hmm. And then um, again, with the space, we just needed more time to secure the space. So another year went by. So it's been a really long time in the making, Mm -hmm. which is why also we had a bit of time for casting as well, because we knew that we had extra time. So we wanted to take extra care in how we cast it as well. So, um, you mentioned about the the collaborative nature of the way that the way you're working. I mean, there's there's everybody's had those directors who are <laughs> uh, you walk into rehearsal and they already have everything blocked out in their book and they already think they know all the answers. And so rehearsal just become um, like a process of going through the map. Are you when you walk into a rehearsal aside from the research that you've that you've done? Are you a complete open book as far as as far as uh, working with the actors go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really am. I, I I wasn't when I first started mm. directing, <laughs> and then the more I uh, studied directing mm. and trained, then I realized how wrong I was at the beginning. So I, I I'm one of those directors, just you know, typical. I I do as much research as I can. I have mm. a million notes. I I have my images that I work with, all that. But then I th- I I leave that all in my binder, and then I just watch the actors and I work with them, mm. and I. And even today, I, I, we were creating this section, this one escape section, and I just said to them, "Hey, I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna give each of you guys a section to work on, and I want you guys to animate it with sound. And huh. these are your props. I'm gonna leave for ten minutes. I'm gonna come back, and you're gonna show me what you did, mm. and I'm gonna tell you what works, and I'll help you string it together." Nice. I'm really, and again, when I teach my kids as well, I really teach them to be creators because yeah. I don't think that I'm the smartest in the room. I don't think I know the most. Mm. I just think that I'm there to cull the best ideas and go, okay, that was smart. Let's use that. Let's do that. That looked amazing. That was clear Mm. that I didn't understand that. I kind of feel like that, that attitude is, is a, is a more of a modern director. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think the the history of the director has been the director is the smartest person in the room. He controls everything. He has all the answers. And I, I've encountered in the last, the last few years, more directors who, when you say, I don't understand what's happening here. And, like, how, what am I doing? And they go, I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. What do you What do you think? Mm-hmm. And instead of like having the answer, it becomes a discussion about about mm-hmm. what's happening and what could be happening, rather than somebody saying imposing something on you, which is a one hundred percent. And again, this I, I, all these all these happened to me when I was at the director's lab like ten years ago, mm-hmm. and then I've been work, and then I. I created a lab here, a director's lab here in Canada as well. Mm-hmm. We're on our 10th year this year as well with Esther Jun. Mm-hmm. And so that working with directors from all around the world and understanding that and working in Germany for a lot mm-hmm. where the actors are, you know, they're all PhD, you know, yeah. three PhDs in Germany. So they all have PhDs. Yeah. And so you can't fool them. And when mm-hmm. I started working with them I, I, and working with directors there and collaborating, co-directing mm-hmm. a lot, which I do a lot of, I realized, um, yeah, there's no fear. I don't have fear in saying, I don't know, but I'll find out. Yeah. And actually Bartlett Scher uh, did an amazing, he said that 10 years ago in one of uh, the sessions at the Lincoln Center, and I'll never forget it. He said, you know, you have to be unafraid to say, I don't know in rehearsal and then say, mm-hmm. I don't know, but we will, I will find out. I'll figure mm-hmm. that out or we'll figure mm-hmm. that out. Mm-hmm. And so I really kind of work with that. Yeah. I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. Um, having worked it more out of Canada than in Canada. Is there something in particular that you notice about the theater scene when you come back to Canada? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's the same as any any space. It, it becomes like there's definitely a distinct Canadian theater culture, but mm-hmm. I think it's changing now quite okay. a bit with those storefront theaters and all those theaters mm-hmm. that are kind of breaking rules in some way. Yeah. But there's definitely a way in which performers work as well that I find. You know, like I've... Like, Yes, the way that performers work sometimes I find very different. And also I spent five years in the States now and I think um, I'm performers in the States are like really hungry and really, uh, they, they're they very ambitious in a way that I think, you know how you were talking about the Mervishes? Yeah. I think sometimes that trickles down to performers here, especially ones that are established where they can, there's this sometimes, sometimes, I'm not saying yeah. a lot of them. No, but yeah. There are some performers who... Uh, I I think, I don't know, but I think they feel like I know where my next job is. I know I'm going to get another job. So I don't really have to do what you're saying Mm. or try to do something new. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, but I don't think that's a lot. I just think there are some. I think there's some anywhere, not just in Canada. But there's definitely a distinct Canadian feel to certain shows. And I can't put my finger on it because I've been trying to figure that out as Mm. well. But I think it's the same when I, like in Houston, when I go see shows in Houston where I've been living for five years, they, they... there's the same sensibility to all those shows. And I can't mm. put my finger on that either. I'm trying to, I've been trying to figure out, I lived in New York for a year and I was, I went to see every single show I possibly could. Yeah. And I was trying to decode what it is about New York performers that, uh, you know, I love kind of decoding why, what they're doing on stage that makes mm. it amazing. Yeah. And so um, I just think it just comes with, the culture. Like there's, if, if that's all that, the good thing is we have Luminato and all mm-hmm. these amazing companies that come in here yes. so you can see that and I think that's influenced us a lot and let me just say I'm not, I'm not saying something there's anything no. bad about the Cana- about the Canadian distinction no. I'm just saying I can't figure out what it is about no. inside Canada when I watch the, the shows what it is like what is that essence that's making it feel to me and it could just be because I'm coming back to it and I'm going I feel a familiarity with it mm-hmm. or a comfortableness yeah. with it mm. that might be a great thing so yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's, it's so hard to, to to figure out because I know that every place everywhere has its own flavor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do wish that that I could get out and see more theater in different places around Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because each scene is different yep. and we don't have a lot of crossover, mm-hmm. especially in the indie scene. I know people who are, I know people who are professional actors and they're going from big show to big show to big show across Canada, but the, the indie scenes are a little bit more amorphous and we don't cross over. Uh, yeah. And so I find much. it actually very exciting in Toronto. The indie scene, I think is much more exciting than any of the other scenes. Like I love oh. when I go see shows in the indie theaters and the yeah. tiny little theaters. I'm always like thinking, wow, this is yeah. feels so fresh and exciting. And yes, <laughs> I think it's because there's there's sort of like the when you when you when you're making it yourself, there's a certain investment in it mm-hmm. that propels you uh, towards uh, working harder. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot on the line because I'm making this rather than somebody hired me to do this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I think there's a little bit a little bit more there. Not that people don't. I get you. The inv- yeah. No, the investment. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get you. There's that. certainly a lot of investment when, when like you're making it on your own. And mm-hmm. I think that, that that's, um, that's that's super exciting. Yeah, and different things at stake. Yes, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Um, when you, when you, when you come back, because you know you come back. You this is your first time coming back for in a while to work. When you come back, are you are you do you, are you seeing a lot? Or are you just here for family? Um, no, I do see a lot. Like yeah. I, I I see as much as I can. I'm, I mean, I just more most comfortable in theater than anywhere else. So I see yeah. a lot of theater. <laughs> um, I'm I'm going to see Rose on Saturday, mm-hmm. so I'm pretty yeah. excited about that. Nice. Um. Yeah, no, I see a lot. I see a lot of shows. I don't just, I, yeah, I very rarely just sit sit around and, <laughs> and, and talk with the family. And, yeah, no. I know. I go see the stuff all the time. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman mm-hmm. and trying and, and so you're opening, you're opening soon. Uh, you're getting into this space soon. You're, yep. you're uh, like the whole thing is happening. What are you most looking forward to about having this show open? Besides relief of the last two years, um, I'm excited to have the cast go in there for the first time mm. because mm. a lot of them have not even, have never seen it. Oh, um, I'm going to give them a video tour of it this week uh, that I found this amazing uh, pre-renovation tour of it so they can kind mm. of start to understand. But I feel like until you're in there, it, it really is a, ma- like it's an amazing magical space. Yeah. And, it, and especially at, at night. So it's just, I'm excited to just kind of build that world in there and just see how the audience is. Yeah. Just see it. Just have this like really intimate, intimate encounter with that audience. They're right there. They're literally mm. sitting right there. There's nowhere else they can go. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's hugely tall, mm-hmm. but it's not wide or mm. it's just, it's the rotunda is, I don't even know how many feet up it is. It's just, it's insanely tall, has two balconies and then this huge skylight, uh, but it, the actual circumference of it is, mm. is tight. So they're going to feel like they're there. And mm. then we've also, you know, we're placing people all around them. We're going to, it's going to be as immersive as possible that way. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine what your cast is, how your cast is going to react going in there. Cause they're probably going to go in for the first time at night. Yeah. 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 Most likely. Yep. So that's, that's kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that you're. Like, I hope that you have like I don't know, a video camera ready, and you mm-hmm. Instagram that stuff because that yeah, no, I'm could excited. Be great. Yeah, yeah, I think they're gonna love it. Yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. Evan, thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you. This has been a Homebody Productions production.